Greetings from the Classic City. I am Jamie Cheek. This is A View from the Couch. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today for an episode that was not planned. The Saturday Afternoon in Athens series is still in full effect. There's nothing that is going to slow us down as we march toward the 2021 Georgia football season. But tonight, we're calling an audible. We're, we're going to have to change it up a little bit, and we have to talk about the big news in college football right now, which is all about expansion. Earlier today, as I record this on Monday night, Oklahoma and Texas informed the Big 12 that they will no longer be part of the Big 12 Conference past the 2025 season. Uh, The 2025 year is significant because that is when the current TV deal runs out for the Big 12. And all indications are that those two uh, storied teams are going to be joining the Southeastern Conference sometime in the near future so today's podcast we're just going to talk about it we're going to talk about why texas and oklahoma feel like this is something that they should do we're going to talk about sec expansion in general why would the conference continue going in this direction and then we're going to take just a few minutes at the end there's so many moving parts we're going to talk just a little bit about what this could potentially look like so If you have listened to all of the other podcasts out there, if you've read things on ESPN and The Athletic, well, buckle up because we're going to do it a little bit more. There is no shortage of opinions when it comes to college football expansion. Everybody seems to be negative about it. Most most people that I've talked to, uh, most things that I've read, everybody just feels like, why why has everything got to change? With the playoff, NIL, now we got expansion. We're just ruining the sport. Well, I'm going to spend the next few minutes trying to tell you that in no way do I think this is going to ruin the sport. It's absolutely going to change the sport. But as we'll see as I lay this out over the next little bit, the sport has changed dramatically in the last 50 years or so. And all that has happened, the result of all of that change, has only been a better product on the field, more fan engagement, higher viewership, more monies for, for the university, and now more money for the players themselves. So uh, let's dig in and let's talk some expansion. We're going to start by talking about why Oklahoma and Texas have made the decision to leave the Big 12 and join the Southeastern Conference. The first thing that I hear from people who are casual college football fans is, why are Oklahoma and Texas doing this? They will never win a national championship in the SEC. Now, the first thing you have to recognize is that uh, they're not winning national championships right now. The last time Texas or Oklahoma won a national championship was, anybody? Anybody? I'll give you one more second. Vince Young's Texas team the 2005 season that was the 2006 national championship game when Texas beat USC Oklahoma last won the national championship in 2000 uh, when uh, second year coach Bob Stoops beat Bobby Bowden uh, and Florida State whose offensive coordinator in that game was a uh, a young guy who had just signed on to be the coach at the University of Georgia a fellow named Mark Richt back in 2000. Now, Oklahoma played for the national championship in 2008, lost to Florida. Uh, Texas played for the national championship again in 2009, or they played for it in 2009, lost to Alabama. Uh, Oklahoma's made multiple playoff appearances, but they have not won a single game, losing at different times to Alabama, to LSU, and to Georgia 
most recent or not most recently, but most importantly, at least for for this guy's opinion. So Texas, on the other hand, has not even sniffed the playoff in in, in since 2014 when the playoff came around. So. The, the, the first argument of, man, neither one of these teams are going to win a national championship playing in the SEC, well, they're not winning championships now. And the last time either one of these teams won a championship was a long time ago. So you have to understand that, that that's really not a factor. And if you want to know the reason, there's just one reason. And when I say the reason, you're going to have a, a guttural, instinctive reaction to the reason but just, just wait a second. The reason is money. The reason anything happens in college football and most things that happen in this world today, the explanation, maybe it's a little convoluted, maybe it takes a couple steps to get there, but let's be honest, it's all about the money. Right now, and, 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 and please forgive me if you read... Uh, some different numbers that I'm about to give you. It's not me trying to tell a certain story. I re- I tried to research uh, the current TV rights deals that each conference has, and there were conflicting numbers all over the place. So I tried to go with what I saw the most often. So I just a little disclaimer here at the top. I cannot be sure that the numbers that I'm about to give you are exactly right, but they are pretty stinking close. And, and the point that we'll get to here in a moment will make itself. You, you, you'll understand where we are. The Big 12's current TV deal is it annually pays each of its member institutions about $37 million a year. Right now, the SEC deal pays about $50 million. Now, you may be thinking, okay, now, wait a minute. We're talking about $13 million difference. I mean, for these huge schools that bring in all this money and raise a bunch of money and got boosters, we're talking about $13 million. $13 million is a lot of money, but in the context of things, is it really that much money? Well, it's not $13 million because the current SEC deal is built around the CBS 330, CBS on it, or SEC on CBS Game of the Week, which is the best deal in sports from a TV rights perspective. CBS is working the last couple of years of a contract they signed. Uh, I believe the last deal was like 2010 or something like that. Um, but they pay $55 million a year for the rights to that game, that first pick every week of the SEC game of the week. Last year, about this time, the SEC renegotiated. Their their window had opened up. The deal's coming to a close, I believe, after the 23 season. And SEC put it out for bid. CBS knew they weren't going to be able to, uh, to bid what they needed to bid to win, to keep that game. And that game will be moving over to ESPN. ESPN has paid a 10, it has, has made a 10-year deal with the SEC for three billion, with a B, as in billion, three billion dollars. So, quick math: ten years, three billion dollars. It pays out three hundred million dollars a year, as opposed to the current deal that pays out fifty-five million dollars a year. That is an increase of seventeen million dollars per team per season. For the next 10 years. So when the SEC deal is fully mature, 
the member institutions are going to be bringing in about, this is right now, without OU, without Texas, they're going to bring in about $67 million a year compared to the current Big 12 deal of $37 million a year. So a little bit of an increase. Now, what started all this has kind of been two things. The first thing is the reality that the Big 12 is Oklahoma and Texas and then just a bunch of other teams. There, there's nobody else in that conference. Now, Iowa State has a good team. They're going to be good again this year. Oklahoma State has had some success in the recent past. They're a good team. TCU with Gary Patterson, they've been good. Baylor made the Sugar Bowl a couple years. I'm not saying that there are no other teams that are any kind of good in the Big 12 other than OU and Texas. What I'm saying is the only teams that matter in the grand scheme of college football are OU and Texas. Those other programs can come and go but Texas, despite the fact that Texas has not been a legitimate college football powerhouse in at least 12 years, but even before that, I mean, Mac Brown had a run, guys. But what Texas has been, if you look at the last 30, 35 years, they're not what you think they are, but what they are as a brand. And we'll talk about that over the next few minutes. So the Big 12 tried to go last year to ESPN and Fox to renegotiate their current deal They that expires in 2025, as I just mentioned. So they wanted to renegotiate. They wanted more money. ESPN and Fox said, thanks, but no thanks. We're not even interested. Talk to us you know, in a few years when your deal's up. That told OU and Texas all they needed to know. Combine that with the fact that Fox's model which Fox owns some Big 12 rights. Fox also owns some Big 10 rights. And as we talked about sometime in the last couple of weeks, uh, maybe it was on the podcast where we talked about the playoff expansion, but Fox made kind of an interesting decision. Rather than try to compete head-to-head with the CBS SEC game of the week or to try to compete head-to-head with Saturday Night Football on ABC, Fox said, okay, we'll take the other time slot that's available and we'll kick our best game every week off at noon well um you can understand why teams in the central time zone aren't too keen about that because for tv viewership hey maybe it does i mean you know every year when we do the uh the weekly previews we do the viewing guide and i'll be honest with you it's nice having that big you know that that big game of the week uh big noon kickoff or whatever they call it because it usually puts at least a halfway decent game on at 12 o'clock. So as a, a guy sitting on my couch in Athens, Georgia, watching football all day, I'm pro Big 12 kickoff, Big 10 kickoff, the big game of the week, whatever deal. Because it gives you a game at 12 leading into the big SEC game of the week at 3.30. Then you have time to, you know, talk to your kids, see your wife for a few minutes before the 7.30 game kicks off that night on ABC. It really sets up perfectly as a viewer. But as a fan, if you're biggest games every year are kicking off at 11 o'clock in in your time that's just not the fan experience that these programs want it's not the game day experience it's not the economic impact for the cities that these schools are in and if you don't think those things matter you're, you're being naive there are people watching all over the country and yeah tv money is important that's the whole this whole deal is about tv money but at the same time 
the boosters, the fans, the players, the coaches, the atmosphere, it's not the same at 11 o'clock in the morning as it is at 3.30 in the afternoon or it is at 7 or 8 o'clock at night. It's just not. So when the Big 12 couldn't renegotiate their deal, the writing was on the wall. And, you know, OU, if you go back, if you go to the Oklahoma football Twitter feed, you have to scroll back a bit, but they posted something a couple of months ago when it was announced that their big 50th anniversary of the game of the century against Nebraska that's going to be played, I believe it's the second week of the season, that game is a the, the big noon kickoff game. And they publicly came out and said that despite their request, Fox has decided to put that game on at 11 a.m. Central Time and that they are disappointed that this historic game, this you know milestone game for Oklahoma, you know, playing Nebraska again after Nebraska left the Big 12 in the last round of college football playoff, uh, expansion, um, they, they were disappointed in that, and they were vocal about that. So they're, they're unhappy with when their games are being played. They're unhappy with how much they're being paid for the TV rights. So they've done the only thing that they could do is leave. $67 million versus $37 million is a huge difference, especially in a post-COVID budgetary world. The reality, and if you've been listening to my friend Jeremy Timmerman's podcast, 3rd and 15, the reality is there are programs all over the country, not college football programs, but baseball programs, swimming programs, uh, a lot of men's sports, men's soccer, track and field. There are programs that are in trouble all over the country because the revenue that is brought in primarily by football and also by men's basketball and every so often by women's basketball, the revenue-producing sports, lost a lot of money last year without a normal college football season. And that lost revenue resulted in teams having seasons canceled and programs being shut down. And when you know from a budgetary standpoint, you know, people will talk about donations and donations are great, but what they are are inconsistent. When you're talking from a budgetary standpoint, when you have to look over the next fiscal year and you know there's a $67 million check coming rather than a $37 million check coming, it absolutely changes what you are able to do, not just in football spending, but probably more importantly in athletic department spending. That is the level this decision is being made on. This is not, you know, brand new coach at Texas, Steve Sarkeesian. This is not Lincoln Riley making this choice. I'm not even sure how much this is the athletic directors of these schools making this choice. This is a chancellor, a president, a board of trustees making this decision. This is a big university decision, not just a a rogue coach deciding that he wants to go play Nick Saban to prove he's better than him. You have to understand the level this is happening on, and it's happening at the very highest levels of academia, not just college sports, but of the college system in this country. And let's be clear about something. Before you judge, oh, they're just selling out for the money. If you're listening to this podcast, you would sell out for the money too. If you could increase your salary by 80%, you would do it. And that's what these people are talking about. They're talking about increasing their annual revenue from one on one line item 
And you'd be dumb not to do it. We all sell out for the money. That's what we do as adults. When we're young and we're kids, we think idealistically that we're going to do something that we love or that we're passionate about. And then the mortgage comes and you realize, you know what? I have to put food on the table. I have to be able to pay the bills. So money matters. And to, to, to demonize these athletic departments and these schools for making a monetary decision is holding them to a standard that we absolutely do not hold ourselves to. The biggest piece of this is you cannot look at this as a coach or a fan or a player because, to be honest, this isn't about wins and losses. It's a business decision. The other reality is, if you really just want to look at it from a competitive standpoint, the reality of it is this, that in a 12-team playoff world, there isn't a huge difference in being the third or fourth best team in the SEC or being the best team in the Big 12. OU has been in the playoff time and time again. They have not won a national championship. If they come to the SEC, they will have an opportunity to be in the playoff practically every year, and it'll be whether or not they can win in the playoff to whether or not they can win a national championship. The road isn't any different. You're going to have to end up beating the best teams in the country. You can either do it in October or you can try to do it in January. It hasn't been working for OU in January, uh, and, and none of this applies to Texas because they can't beat TCU, so it really doesn't matter how what they do. But, you know, they're Texas, and uh, they think they're something special, and they do have a brand that is marketable, and that's why this is happening. So from Texas and OU's standpoint – it's all about the money, but it makes sense. And it, the reality of modern college football is you either make a move and make yourself matter or you become obsolete. And in so many ways, we see what has happened with the Pac-12, what is you know slowly happening with the Big 12 even before this move. The conference had no cachet. The conference was not important. OU was important. Texas has power in college football, but there was nothing about the Big 12 Conference that added to either one of these schools' profiles. So now they're going to go to a conference that absolutely raises their profile, and it's the conference that has led each round of expansion that we've seen over the past 50 years. It's the conference that most people regard, myself included, as the best conference in America and it's the conference that has truly led in the expansion, not just of itself, but just of college football as a sport. We're going to switch gears now, and we're going to talk about this entire situation from the vantage point of the Southeastern Conference. My wife has a friend that she worked with that uh, told her about this the other day. Now, for anybody that knows my wife, you're not shocked that I'm not the one that broke this news to her. If I try to talk to her about sports all the time, uh, she wouldn't be my wife much longer. And so uh, I, I mentioned things to her. She's she's interested, but she's not interested at the level that I usually like to give uh, detail. So uh, my wife's friend Kathy at work told her that this was happening, I don't know, middle of last week. And Kathy, you know, really put it in a way that it was like, this is the end of the world. Everything's changing. It just needs to be a way that it used to be. 
And I think that's really what a lot of fans, especially SEC fans that I have seen on social media and, you know, just in general, it seems like that's what a lot of people think is, why are we changing it? We have a great conference now. It's great. Why Why are we changing it? And the, re, the answer is, it's always been changing. Consistently, it's been changing for my entire life. The consistent thing in the SEC has been that it has been consistently changing. And with each one of those changes, things have just gotten better and better and better. So let's go back to the very beginning in 1936 when the SEC was founded. Now, you're going to find teams like Georgia and Alabama and Ole Miss, though, you know, Florida and LSU. Those teams were always in the conference. But here's three teams that were in the original SEC. Tulane. Something called Suwanee. I, I don't know if it's pronounced Suwanee. You can look it up. 1936 charter members of the SEC. S-E-W-A-N-E-E. SUNY? I don't even know what that is. And some school called the Georgia Institute of Technology. They are now referred to as the North Avenue Trade School. So uh, those three teams were all a part of the original SEC. So for people who never wanted things to change, I don't know what Suwanee is. But you would want, I assume, this team to still be a part of the SEC because change is bad. In 1970, there were 10 teams in the SEC. And they're the teams you think they would be, the traditional Southeastern Conference teams that we think about, right, when we watch, like, old documentaries and stuff. And that 10-team format lasted for the majority of the 70s and through the 1980s. And it was a decent time for the conference. From 1972 to 1991, Alabama won a national championship, Georgia won a national championship, and then Alabama had two split titles. So to calculate that, that was three total, if you count the two split titles as one, three total titles over the course of 20 years. So the SEC was winning national championships about 15% of the time during that period. The first major change in college football came in 1992 when the SEC added two teams, Arkansas and South Carolina, and expanded to 12. With that expansion, they split the the conference into divisions, and they added the championship game. The SEC championship game was the first uh, major conference championship game that was ever played. And uh, ESPN did a really good documentary on the first SEC title game between Florida and Alabama in 1992 or after the 92 season. I guess it was December of 92. That was a monumental change in college football. And from 1992 through 2011, this era of expansion, this new SEC, the conference went from winning national championships 15% of the time in the previous 20 years to winning national championships 47.5% of the time from 92 through 2011. So you had nine national champions in 20 years, and LSU split a national championship in 2003. That's insane. So 15% to almost half. Then the last round of expansion started in 2012 when Missouri and Texas A&M were added from the hint, hint, Big 12 were added from the Big 12 to the SEC. In that time, since then, 2012 through 2020, nine seasons, five national championships for the SEC, raising the percentage of 
win percentage for national championships from 47 and a half the previous 20 years to 55 and a half percent. Now that's a lot of numbers. So what does it all mean? It means that every time the SEC expands, it means more national championships for the conference. So when you ask yourself why would the SEC do this, it's because this is what the SEC does. Since 92, the SEC has been on the front foot when it comes to college football expansion. It has led the way on expansion. And every time it's expanded, it has made improvements, and the result has been more success for the conference as a whole. Now, the last round of expansion was a lot different than what we're going to see this time around. In 2012, A&M and Missouri joined the conference, as I just said, and that was also the year that we first got the SEC Network. So the expansion that happened in 2010 and 2011 and all the talks and all the movement, it all centered around the SEC Network because as the conference was getting ready to launch the network, it was going to be charging cable companies for the network. And let's just say it was $2. I have no idea what it was, but let's say it was $2. So everything about the that first round of expansion was making the footprint of the conference bigger, adding new television markets so you could project more money as you have these cable operators that are charging their customers more because now you have the SEC network. Or you have people that are calling their cable operator saying, hey, I can't watch the Aggies on Saturday because you don't have the SEC network. I need you to add it. And so... Moving into Texas, moving into Missouri, the St. Louis market, that brought a lot of eyeballs to the SEC network, and that is why that happened. Now, this time is a lot different, and it's a lot different because the way media in general has changed in the last 10 years, it has to be recognized. It was about eyeballs before, but the reality is, if you're listening to this, you probably yourself or know someone who has cut the cord either partially, completely, uh, you know, streaming. All of these things are now a part of our everyday way we consume sports media, but just media in general. And that wasn't the case in 2012 when the SEC Network launched. When, the, when that network launched, we all had cable. Some of us still have cable, but for the, for the most part now, people are streaming, whether it's YouTube TV or Apple TV or, you know, Sling or whatever. A majority of America, I don't know if it's a majority, but a lot of Americans are moving away from the cable TV model, and as they cut the cord, those rights fees are not producing the kind of money that they used to. So what is it about? Well, it's about these big TV contracts that we started the episode talking about. But what it's really about is about branding. It's about intellectual property, in a way. Okay, so I'm equating college football brands to IP. So, I believe that the greatest movie made in my lifetime was in 1995 when Forrest Gump was made. Forrest Gump, and you may think, what, what, what happened? He just started doing a different podcast. Stick with me for just a moment. Forrest Gump was made in the mid-90s. For, the budget for that movie was $55 million. The movie went on to gross $683 million nationwide. Now... I don't know if you're a big movies fan. I, I, I don't know, you know what your media interests are. You obviously like college football. You're listening to this podcast. Or you're my mother and you always listen no matter what I do. So thanks, Mom. 
But we don't make movies like Forrest Gump anymore. When's the last time a movie like that came out? They don't make them. It's, nobody wants to make one movie. What they want to do is they want to buy intellectual property. They want to make 25 or 30 movies. They want to make the next Star Wars trilogy. They want to make Marvel movies. They want to make superhero movies. They want to make the movies that you can sell the new version of Monopoly for, the lunchbox, the action figure, that you'll sign the deal with McDonald's to have the toy. That's what people want to make now. Nobody wants to make a single movie. Who makes a movie? One movie? That's not enough money. Forrest Gump brought in $683 million. Since 2008, Marvel has made 24 Marvel movies. Iron Man 1 came out in 2008. Those 24 movies have totaled $4.9 billion at the box office. Why make one movie and make $700 million? When you can make nearly $5 billion because it's Marvel, because it's a bigger brand, because it's more marketable. Nobody wants to make a movie. You want to make a lot of movies. Nobody wants to just have a one and done. You want to have it all. You want to have a new movie come out every year or multiple movies come out every year. And the reality is adding OU in Texas to the SEC is box office. It's two huge brands. I mean, if you talk about the best programs in college football, you could rank them however you want to, but there's no way that you're getting past, what, 10, 12 without including OU in Texas. You add that to what's already in the SEC with Alabama, Florida, Auburn, Georgia, and what you've done is you've really raised the profile of what was already considered by most the best conference in college football. Now, over the next couple of years as we head towards whatever this new normal is going to be, you're going to hear a lot of people focus on what will be lost in this process. And make no mistake, things are going to be lost. Things were lost Back in 1992, when the conference expanded for the first time. Georgia and Alabama used to play each other every year. It was an annual thing. And now Georgia and Alabama play each other twice every 10 years because that's the way it is now. Unless they play in the SEC championship game or sometimes, unfortunately, in the national championship game. There was things that were lost in 2012. Georgia used to play Ole Miss every single year. You used to have two rotating, or you used to have two rivals that you would play every single year. Obviously, Georgia has Auburn, but we used to have Ole Miss every year too. So every other year, there was a trip to Oxford for the the Georgia faithful. We don't get to do that anymore. So there's going to be drawbacks, but history has shown us that while some tradition is lost, more success is found with with this expansion. And, and maybe the sound will be different. Maybe, maybe the drawbacks, maybe what's lost will be greater. But this would be the first time that it's happened. So every time the conference has expanded, it's meant more viewers, more money, and more titles. So by every objective measure, by every stati- measurable statistic, the SEC improved 
1992 when it expanded. The SEC approved, improved in 2012 when it expanded. And while it's unclear exactly when this expansion... Okay, well, that was some thunder in the background. While it's unclear when this expansion is going to happen, I, I don't think there's any doubt that this is going to be a major improvement for the conference. We're going to finish up the podcast today talking about what really will become the topic to talk about for the next couple of years as all of this materializes, and that's what's next. And the short answer is, uh, who knows? <laughs> that's that's the short answer. That's the right answer. Anybody that tells you they know what is going to be happening in college football expansion six months from now or you know, even a week from now doesn't. You could have anything from the Big Ten trying to swoop in and take some of these uh, leftover Big 12 teams, which I don't think is likely. You could have the Pac-12 come in and maybe take two or three, probably two. You'd have to keep it at even numbers. But maybe try to take maybe Oklahoma State, maybe Kansas for you know basketball purposes. You, you could see the Pac-12 come over and try to take a couple of teams. Or what you could see is a mid-major like the American Conference try to combine in some way with the Big 12. You could see the Big 12 just try to replace Oklahoma and Texas by adding teams like Houston and Cincinnati. You could see a lot of different things. But those dominoes will fall over time. Right now, the the current crop of I guess what what's left which you know for everybody that doesn't know the Big 12 had already kind of been reduced to the Big 10 there were only 10 teams in the Big 12 so it's now the Big 8 which ironically is is what the conference was called like back in the early 90s before uh, (laughs) this before the Big 12 was founded it was the Big 8 so You've got those eight teams now. They're all promising to stay friends and stay together and that they're going to do all of this. More thunder coming here, I think, in just a second. Um, but they won't. They're all lying to each other. You know, oh, we're going to be friends forever until the Pac-12 calls Oklahoma State and says, hey, you want to come hang out with us? And be like, later, dudes. That's what's going to happen. So we'll see what happens as far as nationally. What I want to focus on over the next couple of minutes is just talk about a couple of the options, a couple of what could happen in the SEC. So if you've looked at all, if you've read anything, you've seen these two ideas. This is not my idea, so I don't want to put it off that way. But there seems to be two general thought processes of what could happen next. The, the simplest, and to kind of keep the most traditional version of the conference still intact, is you just do some divisional realignment. You add Oklahoma and Texas to the West, which would you know technically give the West nine teams. And then you take Alabama and Auburn and you put them in the East. That preserves the Auburn-Georgia rivalry. It preserves the Tennessee-Alabama uh, rivalry. And then, because at that point... You would have an an uneven amount of teams. You're gonna to have to have eight in each conference. So then you're gonna take Missouri from the east and put them in the west, which actually makes a little bit of sense geographically. So you would have an SEC West comprised of Oklahoma, Texas, Missouri, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, LSU. 
I think I didn't write this down. So uh, I think that's right. And then the East would be Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Auburn, and Alabama. If I got that right, um, that's pretty impressive because, again, I didn't write that down. Um, So the problem with that model, as I see it, uh, and as other people have pointed out, is that now you're playing seven division games every year. So it would only give you one crossover game if the conference stays at an eight-game conference schedule, which seems to be, uh, despite all logic, kind of where the conference is right now. They want to stick with eight games, which means that if you are Georgia playing in the East, you would only play Oklahoma once every eight years. That kind of sucks. So I don't think that's the model that they're going to go with. I think what's more likely is they blow up the divisions and they go to what's being called pods. Now, whether the SEC will try to do something to, uh, to change the terminology, I don't know. But here's the concept. You split the conference into four groups of four teams. Now, I've seen these pods split up in multiple ways. Uh, this way that I'm I'm going to kind of describe here is just one of the ways. There's been others, so I'm not implying that this is the only or the best way. Let's just go with this example and see where it takes us. In the in the pod system that I, I'm using here, the the four divisions would be broken up like this. Pod one would be Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, and Kentucky. Pod two would be Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. Pod 3 would be LSU, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Texas A&M. And Pod 4 would be Arkansas, Missouri, OU, and Texas. The scheduling concept that you would have is that obviously you play every team in your pod every year. So that's three games. You would keep a traditional crossover rival. So in Georgia's case, you would play Auburn. Tennessee would continue to play Florida. Alabama would play LSU. You get to keep those you know, natural rivalries, and everybody would have one. So you just match up people. Some of them won't make sense, but it's important for those six schools in particular to keep those rivalry games on the schedule. And those six teams have a lot of power within the conference, so you're going to try to make them happy. Then, so so three teams in your own pod, one crossover game, and then you play a whole nother pod, right? And that's the other four games. That gets you to eight games. So, for instance, Georgia, a normal year for, for Georgia would play, be playing Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky, and Auburn. And if it's the year they're pay, playing pod three, they would also play LSU, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Texas A&M. Then the next year... If you're Georgia, you play Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky, and Auburn, just like you do every year, but you play Arkansas, Missouri, OU, and Texas. So the huge advantage of the pod system, as I see it, is that every team in the conference plays every other team in the conference every three years. And I think that makes it more interesting. That means you're playing every team in the conference home and away at least every six years. So it's just more games. I mean, think about the fact that A&M has been in the conference since 2012. Georgia has played Texas A&M one time in that period of time. Georgia won't play them again until 2024. That is ridiculous. You could barely tell if you're a Georgia fan that A&M is even in the conference. So the pod system, while it's kind of radical, it really kind of 
increases the competition within the conference because you're playing each other a lot more often. Now, as some people might see it, and I'm one of these people, I see the only drawback is then it gets convoluted of how you determine who plays in the title game because if you go to the pod system, you're going to have to do away with the divisions, obviously, which means you're going to have a situation where you you basically go 1-16 to 16 and the top two teams play for the conference. And there's going to be ties and it could be unequal and all this kind of stuff. So the tiebreakers and in getting into the conference championship game may matter to some people, but let's not forget we're talking about a 12-team playoff world where if you are number two or number three in the conference, maybe you don't get to play for the title, but you're probably making the playoff either way. So... I'm not sure what the entire landscape of college football will look like. Nobody is at this point. But there are some intriguing options for the SEC. And as a fan of an SEC team, I can safely say that I think the next few years, as this comes to fruition, while your instinct may have been to maybe reject this idea out of hand or kind of scoff at it or roll your eyes at it or pine for the good old days, be open to the fact that there, there's a lot of good that could come out of this. I can't tell you right now what all the unintended consequences are going to be because nothing has been decided. While Oklahoma and Texas have given notice to the Big 12 that they're leaving, anything could change. Of course it could change. This time last week, none of this had even started yet. News broke, I believe, on Wednesday of last week, and since then, everything has changed. So... Until we know exactly when they'll be joining the conference, what the alignments are going to be, what the scheduling concepts are going to be, you really don't know what the costs are. But until we get all those details, let's just approach this from the standpoint that as a college football fan, just like that big noon game we were talking about earlier, it's probably better for fans in general. There's probably more good than bad. And... No, it's not going to be perfect. No, it's hard to accept that this much change is happening strictly over money. It's hard to get our mind around thirty billion or thirty million here and three billion dollar TV deals. But that's the way of the world. As a fan, what you want is better games, better teams. That's why I would love to see the SEC go to nine SEC games. Does that do I think that helps Georgia win a national championship? No, but. The reality is I want to see better games. It's a lot more exciting when it's a week that Georgia's playing LSU or Alabama or potentially Oklahoma. It's it's easy to be excited. You walk on water that entire week waiting for Saturday. Whereas you kind of forget it's game week when Georgia's getting ready to play Vanderbilt. So better games, more fun, more interesting things. And if for no other reason... Let Texas and Texas A&M start playing each other again. The Red River rivalry being a 3.30 kickoff on CBS, or by best by then probably ESPN, maybe even play that thing under the lights. There's a lot of good that's coming, and change is coming. We always look back and we idealize the, the things that we grew up with, the things that happened in the past. But don't be so negative about this expansion, because the reality is, if you are an SEC fan... It usually works out for the best for us. Now, if you're a fan of any other conference in the country, you can just keep on hating the SEC as much as you always have and maybe even a little bit more. 
I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've opened your mind up maybe a little bit to uh, the concept of expansion in college football. We will be back this Saturday talking Saturday afternoon in Athens. We're going to talk about the skill positions for the University of Georgia as we continue our preview series leading up to the big game in Charlotte against Clemson. My name is Jamie Cheek. Thank you again for listening. And as always, go dogs.